It's 836. It's Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. This is very cool about the Brewers. If you haven't been following them, Colorado, um, the Colorado Rockies were playing in San Francisco late last night. They've lost to the San Francisco uh, Giants. That means the Brewers are now one game behind the Rockies in the battle for the second wild card spot. Now, making the wild card is not the ideal way to get to the playoffs because what happens is you have a one-game playoff with the other wild card team. In this case, it's going to be Arizona, which is a very good team, and they're going to be in Arizona, but to play the game. But still, you, you would make the playoffs. So with the Rockies' loss yesterday and the Brewers' win, the Brewers are now one game behind the Rockies in the race for that second wild card space. Um, they remain three and a half games behind the Cubs, but I, I tell you, they're playing win in baseball, and you've got four games coming up against the Cubs starting on Thursday night at Miller Park. How cool will that be? And you can hear all the all the action at News Radio 620 WTMJ. You know, I, I tell you, the Brewers right now, 81 and 70, which means, uh, unless they Lord forbid, lose every one of their remaining 11 games. They're, they're going to finish above 500. And again, I think if we, if you think back to when we did that opening day show, sitting in the dugout, talking to Mark Atanasio, talking to Craig Council, talking to General Manager David Stearns, I think if anybody said, hey, the Brewers, they're going to win 81 games. They're going to go 500. Everybody would have said, oh, that, that, that would be a great season. Well, they're probably going to go well above 500. This has been kind of a magical year, regardless of how it turns out. But wouldn't it be nice to see the Brewers overhaul the Cubs or the Rockies and end up making the playoffs? How cool would that be? If you want to switching gears, politics, if you want to understand why the Democrats are so dysfunctional in this state, uh State Assembly, there aren't that many Democrats, 35 or 36. There has been, hasn't been that few um, for 60 years. Now, some people will say, well, that's because the districts were redrawn. No, the, the truth is it's because the Democratic Party in Wisconsin is an absolute and total mess. For the longest time, State Representative Peter Barca of Kenosha, who was what I would describe as sort of a common-sense Democrat, he was the Democratic leader. He was forced to resign. Yeah, he was forced to resign because he had the audacity to vote for the Foxconn bill. Uh, imagine that, something that's going to bring, oh, I don't know, 5, 10, 15, 20, 25,000 jobs to the area where Barca represents. He, he voted for it. And because he decided to put his constituents ahead of his party, he was essentially forced out as the leader. Wow. That says all it needs to say about the state of the Democratic Party in Wisconsin. But yesterday, they, they chose their new leader, Gordon Hintz. Now, Gordon Hintz's greatest claim to fame is that he was arrested in 2011 as part of a sting being run by police at an Appleton massage parlor. That was right around the time that he went to then-state representative Michelle Litchens, a Republican, and told her that she was blanking dead, although he, he didn't use the word blanking. This, this is the guy that the Democrats have chosen to be their leader, and his platform is essentially our job. Our job is to do whatever we can to oppose Governor Walker. That's it. We're going to oppose Governor Walker. All right, that is the recipe for continuing to, again, 
be the gross minority party, but that's the leader that Democrats have chosen. On a plus side, if they ever get around to having their state convention in Appleton again, at least he might be the guy that you would assign to figure out, hey, where are we going to go to have a good time in Appleton on a Friday night? Just saying. Okay, we start off today's show like we start off every show. Three big things. Story number one. President Trump, speaking in front of the United Nations yesterday, we carried the thing, we carried the speech live. It was, I think, a very, very strong speech. Now, he used some language that some of the diplomats were uncomfortable with, but I thought he did a very, very good job. He defined what America first meant, and he defined it in a way that I think everybody in that room could understand. He essentially said, look, you are the leader of your country, and obviously you want to put the interests of your country first. That's what it means. He said, but at the same time, I also recognize, as should we all, that it is in the interest of all of our countries to have the world in general be safe and free and prosperous. And putting it in that way, I I think uh, people understood that. He called out North Korea and Iran. He also called out Islamic terrorism. Wasn't it interesting to have a president that wasn't afraid to say those words? And he talked in broad strokes about how, you know, we, we need to... The world needs to be free. He denounced communism and socialism as a failed ideology, and I'm sure that made some people uncomfortable, but at the same time, I think it was stuff that needed to be said. Well, predictably, you know that there's a lot of folks out there who just don't like President Trump, and it wouldn't matter what he did or what he said. Nevertheless, they weren't going to like his speech. And uh, again, that's been the reaction today. Uh, war, I'm looking at the editorial in New York Times. Warmongers and peacemakers at the United Nations. The United Nations isn't the venue one would expect for threatening war, yet that's what President Trump did in his first address to the General um, Assembly. Uh, Mr. Trump's performance had echoes of President George W. Bush's infamous, infamous axis of evil, demonizing Iran, North Korea, and Iraq in 2002. This time, Iraq was spared, having disappeared from Mr. Trump's enemies list. Iran came across as reckless, savage, not to be trusted, despite the agreement that Obama cut. North Korea was even more clearly in the president's crosshairs. He warned he would totally destroy North Korea to defend the United States and its allies. And again, he disparaged North Korea's leader as rocket man. He said Mr. Kim was on a suicide mission for himself and his regime. So the New York Times editorial board didn't like it. A number of commentators are saying, oh my gosh, this, this style, he's threatening... He is actually threatening war crimes. The thinking on this is that, well, um, he said that he would obliterate North Korea if the Kim regime attacks the United States. This is a war crime, you have people suggesting. One of the guys on MSNBC and one of the guys on ABC. The words totally destroying a nation of 25 million people, that that borders on a threat of committing a war crime. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I thought the President's speech, and I said this yesterday, and upon having an opportunity to reflect for almost 24 hours, I thought he did a good job. I, I thought he did a good job on it. I think he said things that needed to be said. This hysterical reaction, though, oh, my gosh, this guy is a warmonger. Oh, my gosh, he is threatening to commit war crimes and atrocities by saying if North Korea attacks 
the United States or its allies, that we will totally obliterate them. 414-799-1620. Is the criticism over the top? Did Donald Trump go over the top, or did he say things that needed to be said? And for people who might be offended by this, I think my take is, as we often say, Wagner's rule of life number one, life is tough, get a helmet. I don't think President Trump came close to threatening war crimes. I think he said stuff that needs to be said, and the world needs to stand up and take notice. And I, for one, am glad that you have a president who, at least at this point on this issue, is willing to say things that need to be said. Namely, we're not going to allow a crazy guy in North Korea to attack us or our allies without there being a response. Did President Trump threaten a war crime? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 845. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 848. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The state budget may finally be done, but critics are saying it still fails to fund transportation needs for the long term. Is this right? And if so, what options are left on the table? Scafidi and Billstead dive in at 1235 today. Just to give you an idea about how unhinged the rhetoric is and how, in my opinion, out of touch. Uh, again, New York Times editorial. In all this fury, they're talking about what Trump was saying. Before a world body whose main purpose is the peaceful resolutions of dispute, there was hardly a hint of compromise or interest in negotiations. That's a telling contrast to President Barack Obama's approach to many of the same problems in the same setting in 2009. Yes, yes, Obama, that was exactly it. Obama, let's negotiate. Let's draw a line in the sand. That is precisely the point. All right, so Obama doesn't want to get tough on North Korea. All right, so what happens? North Korea accelerates its attempts to become a nuclear power. (laughs) At some point in time, don't some of these people realize that negotiations just don't work with some of these rogue nations? Yeah, I I love it. New York Times. Well, this is in contrast to Obama's approach. Yes, Obama's approach didn't work when it came with when it comes to Iran. Obama's approach didn't work with regard to North Korea. So yeah, maybe you're going to try something a little bit different. Warmongering, seriously. Ken in Glendale. Ken, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. You're fired up today. I like it. <laughs> well, I mean, seriously. Okay. Well, this is this is in contrast to Obama's approach. Yeah, you think? <laughs> you know. Right. We have to change the game. The, uh, the previous regime didn't do us any favors. We're now left to clean up the mess. We're dealing with a little round, chubby bully across the seas. My, one of my points was the New York Times and the Washington Post and all the others, it's frivolous left-wing thinking. And if anyone disagrees, they get all upset and they call us racist or whatever they call us. But the point being, um, we pay an enormous amount of money. That was one of key, right. Trump's key points yesterday. Uh, no one else even comes close to what we pay, and yet we don't get the benefits. And we've tried negotiation. Uh, China's not helping. Russia's not helping. So we're left to deal with this crazy person who keeps threatening us. And I just think we have to do what we have to do. We have to be tough. Well, right. And, and, and obviously, you, you want to resolve things through negotiation. I, I get that. But that's been the path that we have tried for years and years and years. Not just Obama. The President Bush tried it. Bill Clinton tried it. It hasn't worked. So now you have a president who says, look, I'm not going to let these people continue to send ballistic missiles over Japan. We, at some point in time, you've got you've to stop it. And they don't apparently understand anything other than threats of force. 
Yeah, no, thanks to Cotter. It's, 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 it, this is what, again, the frustration of this, this is. Oh, he's talking about warmongering. He's threatening, you know, war crimes. It's a war crime to threaten to obliterate a country. You know, these people, do you realize how stupid that they sound? I mean, seriously, if we would have in World War II, look, if you continue your acts of aggression, you know, we're going to, you know, come in and we're going to obliterate Germany. Oh, no, don't say that. Don't, don't say that. You know, we, we might be threatening these war crimes. Now, he's using very hypercharged rhetoric, but the question is, is it appropriate or is it not? Now, obviously, I think what President Trump is trying to do is actually force negotiations by making it clear to people, countries like China and Russia, that, you know, we're we're willing to go it alone if we absolutely have to. So, uh, you know, cut off the spigot. I mean, if China cuts off oil and stops trading with North Korea, this problem, I think, goes away quickly. But now China, for whatever reason, has been unwilling to do that. So, I mean, Trump is just laying his cards on the table, and you've got all the hand-wringing here. Let's see. Um, Vena says, it's all. it's about time that we stand up to bullies. Um, I feel Trump did a great job in his speech. Dave writes, um, he's simply attempting to prevent, you know, major retaliation. Yeah, he's saying this. Um, Let's see. Uh, These are the points of what, you know, you're trying to make and the points of what you're trying to do. Uh, Jim and McGonagall writes, what should he do? Load um, Load up a plane with money and send it as long as they send half of it back to the Clinton Foundation? Ouch, that hurts. But, yeah, it's but it, it's it's true. I mean, so big story number one today, I think the president hit the right tone with his speech. He's clearly demonstrating to the leaders of the world that there is a new sheriff in town, at least in the United States, and that we are not going to allow the world to be threatened. He's calling on cooperation of the world body, but this idea that, gee, we're just going to sit around and we're going to allow, again, a crazy guy in North Korea to develop increased nuclear capacity to the point that he can menace the United States or menace South Korea or menace Japan or other places in the world, we're not going to let that happen. We have negotiated for years and years and years, and it is not working. And as we often say, doing the same thing over and over again and being surprised that the results aren't different, that's the definition of insanity. Coming up, big story number two, another day, another broad daylight carjacking outside a grocery store. Stick around. It's 8.54. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 8.57. Jeff Craig, 620 WTMJ. Scott Warris who's producing the show today. Do you remember your first job um, outside of, like, cutting lawns or shoveling snow or stuff? Do you remember where you worked? No, uh, not outside of umpiring. No, but, like, like a regular job job. Obviously, obviously not. not till college. Okay, I, the reason I bring this up is... My, my first, like, job, job, other than cutting lawns or delivering papers, of which I did, or shoveling snow, um, there used to be a Treasure Island store on Brown Deer and, uh, and, and Highway 57, Green Bay Road. Um, Treasure Island at the time, it was like the, the discount store for JCPenney's. But when I was in high school, there was a big Treasure Island store in that in that shopping center, and that was my first job. I worked in the toy department at Christmas time, and I, so I've always had kind of a fond spot for that area. That Treasure Island store, long, long gone, but that that shopping center is still there. 
and one of the centerpieces of that shopping center. Now, it's on Brown Deer, so if you can picture Brown Deer Road, Highway 57 in Milwaukee, um, Green Bay Road, the, the centerpiece of that store now is a pick-and-save. So it's technically Brown Deer. If you can imagine the Schrader Aquatic Center, the Y, it's right by there. That's where this is. So yesterday afternoon, yesterday afternoon, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, a woman was carjacked in the parking lot of that pick-and-save. According to the story, she was exiting her car. Um, uh, An 18-year-old man from Milwaukee apparently came up, assaulted her, forcibly took the car, the keys to her vehicle, and drove off. I don't get the sense that she was injured, but she was attacked, and the keys were forcibly taken from her. The man then fled a traffic stop by an officer who saw the vehicle. There was a pursuit that ended in the 8200 block of West Good Hope Road, where the man was ultimately arrested. The case is going to go to the district attorney. 18-year-old Milwaukee guy carjacks a 68-year-old woman in the parking lot of the pick-and-save in Brown Deer and then flees. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I swear, I swear I have never seen anything like this. You have stories like this on an almost daily basis. You can now apparently not shop in stores in Milwaukee without fear of in broad daylight somebody coming up and attacking you and stealing your car. Okay, 414-799-1620. I am seriously wondering whether there is whether you can be safe anywhere and whether or not the out of control crime is causing It's 909. I'm Jeff Wagner. Glad to have you with us. It's not just the crime, it's the brazenness of the crime. If you're just tuning in, Another one of these stories that happens, it seems like, almost every day around here. Yesterday afternoon, a little bit after 4 o'clock in the afternoon, broad daylight, 68-year-old woman is shopping at the Pick and Save on Brown Deer Road and Green Bay Road and Brown Deer. Highway 57, right by it's right by the, where the Big Schroeder Aquatic Center is. I, I, that, that shopping center happens to be where my first job was. There used to be a Treasure Island store that was there. I worked in the toy department over Christmas time. But now the Pick and Save is a centerpiece. 68-year-old woman is apparently, I don't know if she was coming out to her car or going into her car. She is physically assaulted by an 18-year-old Milwaukee man who my guess is, once he's charged, will have a lengthy juvenile record and maybe an adult record. I don't know for sure, but that's just my guess, because I don't think you just wake up one morning and say, hey, today's the day I'm going to go attack a 68-year-old woman outside a pick-and-save and steal her car. So carjacking occurs, there's a high-speed chase, ultimately they catch him. But this this is going on on a, on a regular basis, and it's, it's the brazenness of this, um, which really gets my attention to the point that is it safe anywhere? If you can't go to a pick-and-save in Brown Deer at 4 o'clock in the afternoon without fear of being carjacked, well, all right, is it really time for the last person to leave Milwaukee County, turn out the lights? Um, Our text line has exploded. Um, As a 25-year-old woman, my parents urged me not to take Capital Drive home from work to by Bay, not to take Capital Drive home from work by Bayshore to the New Berlin area. Instead, I need to sit in traffic. Also, I have seen so much crime by the Bayshore Mall. Um, 
the, Monday night, I was coming home from dinner. Um, Bayshore, I, I ran right into that thing they had at Bayshore where it was all blocked off. They had an active shooting situation there. Now, it turned out to be somebody with a BB gun, but people did not know that. Um, but, yeah, it, I guess I, I will tell you, I am now rethinking decisions. How I go across the city. There are some streets that I will not take unless I absolutely have to. And I will tell you, there are some areas of the city that I just don't feel comfortable going into. The scariest part, though, is this is now spreading to the point that, you know, it it appears that anywhere you stop... Um, you get out of your car and you may be targeted, whether it's the woman that was beaten up and attacked on the surveillance video on Capitol Drive and 27th, whether it was the woman who was attacked at, what, 7 or 7.30 in the morning out at the Piggly Wiggly in West Bend. I mean, it really, it is just, at some point in time, are we going to say enough is enough? Let's start with Dick and Grafton. Dick, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. I'm real familiar with that Piggly Wiggly. I worked at the... Uh uh, bank for a mortgage company located in the bank for a couple of years recently. And this is not the first carjacking, uh, that's occurred in that, in that shopping center. There was one, a violent one a couple of years ago. Um, while I was working at the bank, one now, of our, now, Dick, are we talking about the Piggly Wiggly in West Bend or the Pick and Save in Brown Deer? Brown Deer. Okay, Brown Deer, Pick and Save. Got it. Okay. Yep. Um, one of our executives was going to lunch and he noticed two teenagers trying to break into a van hollered at him. They ran. He called 911. Brown Deer police were there with, I think, a six or seven squad car response, chased him up uh, Green Bay Road. They eventually tried to hide in the culvers, and they were able to find them and arrest them. Um, Coles used to have a huge store in that shopping center. It's closed. The last time I went by, I think the Applebee's is closed. Um, I've shopped in that in that grocery store uh, many times. Uh, pick up stuff to go on, you know, come home here in Grafton. Um, when you look at that area, there are thousands of people living in that neighborhood. They all go there to buy their groceries. If that store closes, where are they going to go? All those stores in that shopping center provide hundreds of jobs mm-hmm. to people who live in that neighborhood. If that turns out to be like the rest of Brown Deer Road or um, that, that, what was that, that North North Side Mall that's Northridge. vacant? Northridge. Yeah. Yeah. Northridge. Right. Uh, that whole area is going to die. I, I, I thought about that many times when I worked up there, and, and, and the one thing that I think that neighborhood has for itself is it's Brown Deer. It's not Milwaukee. The Brown Deer Police Department, they don't fool around. Right. Right. They're going to arrest the people. Now, what would be interesting is to follow this carjacker through the system and see what happens to him. Well, see, Dick, thanks. For, see, that, of course, is, is the outstanding point, because what we are seeing, in my opinion, it's, it's really, I'll use the cliche, the chickens coming home to roost. We are seeing years and years and years of the Milwaukee County soft-on-crime revolving door court system, which is coming into play. And, and you are exactly right. Now, the difference is that still is Milwaukee County, which means it's going to be Milwaukee County judges and the Milwaukee County District Attorney's Office who is going to handle this. My guess is if the carjacker had done this 
three or four miles north into Ozaki County, it would be a completely different story. And it will be interesting to see once the DA issues charges. Um, and, of course, part of the problem is you never they never tell you what juvenile records are. That, that to me, is a huge, huge flaw in the law that we, we don't, we don't tell you what people, when they commit crimes as adults, we never make their juvenile records public. As far as I'm concerned, when somebody commits a crime as an adult, at that point in time, I think their juvenile records should be unsealed so you can see the path and you can see what judges did or didn't do. Now, like I say, this 18-year-old, this who was involved in the carjacking, this might have been the guy's first time at the rodeo. Might have just woke up, awakened yesterday morning and said, hey, today's the day I'm going to go attack a 68-year-old woman and steal her car. My guess is probably not. But this this is what is going on. And I will tell you, I... I rethink some of my decisions now. There are certain roads I will not travel unless I absolutely have to. And you're getting to a point where now a lot of times it's it's single women. By single, I mean unaccompanied women who are, are being attacked on a regular basis around here. You almost wonder, I mean, what... What are you going to do? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I understand part of the frustration is that this whole idea of how do you solve this? Because obviously what we are doing now is not working. It is going on on a regular basis. And, and I think the unfortunate thing of what is happening is people are starting to make their decisions by saying, look, I'm not... I'm not going to put my life at, at risk. I'm I'm going to, there's all sorts of places I can shop where I am less likely to be mugged and attacked. And Tom Barrett can, tra- can tout, you know, the, the trolley. And I understand this was, it was a Milwaukee guy who was out there. But, I mean, this is a major, major factor. You are not going to get employment in certain areas of the city. You are not going to get employers who invest in Milwaukee County as long as you have the thugs and the gangsters and the criminals who feel emboldened to go out and attack 68-year-old women and try to steal their cars. If it is unsafe to go to shopping centers in Brown Deer, if it's unsafe to go to a pick-and-save in Brown Deer at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, all right, you know, where... Where is it safe to go? And and that's just the huge issue. This is big story number two. I am frustrated because I do not have any answers other than to say that once you catch these people and they get into the court system, instead of talking about alternatives and instead of trying to understand why they attacked the 68-year-old woman and stole her car, maybe we simply need to start saying we are not going to tolerate this and people need to be safe. I will tell you the other thing that's going to be going on here is I think you know more and more people are going to hear these stories and more and more people, we live in a concealed carry world, I think more and more people, whether it's pepper spray or something else, are going to start making the decision that they are not going to be they're, they're not going to be the the victims and and it it breaks my heart like I say this this one I know the Milwaukee area I grew up here okay I, we moved here when I was like nine or ten years old okay this is where I've lived my entire life I've got my roots here I'm, I'm dug in I get it this one kind of hit home because like I say that's where my first job was Judy in Bayside Judy you're on 620 WTMJ good morning oh good morning that shopping center you're talking about is where I used to shop all the time. Uh, I'm 77 years old, and I do not go there at all, even if for some reason that would be more convenient. Mm-hmm. It is more convenient. It's closer than where I go now. Um, even wherever I go, though, I, I walk. 
around and I look around. My son-in-law bought me pepper spray. <laughs> I have it. What, I is it, it. what does it say, Judy, that at this point in your life, you know, your, your son-in-law has to give you pepper spray in case somebody's going to attack you when you're trying to go shopping? I mean, that, that, is, that is not a very good reflection on where we're living right now. No, it's not. I mean, I've lived in Milwaukee all my life, too. You know, I'm in Bayside now, a suburb, but it is still Milwaukee County. But I, I say I've, I've lived in Milwaukee most, the city of Milwaukee most of my life, did move out and get a little farther away because of something that happened to one of my daughters you know, years ago mm-hmm. in Milwaukee. And it, it's, I don't know where you go. It's just going to keep spreading to the suburbs, too. But all I can say is to every older woman or even younger woman, just be careful, watch around. When I stop for gas, you won't believe all the things oh. I do to try well, to make sure. Well, I do, too, because and now, I mean, th- thanks a lot for calling, because the, the reality is you have to do this. I'm not trying to be an alarmist, but, I, I mean... You know, I, I'm just I'm still haunted by the story of the the woman who got beaten up a couple weeks ago. She stops at the gas station on 27th and Capitol, and there, you've got the surveillance video of a couple teenagers that are sitting there. They're watching the woman. She's coming out with a soda, and one of them, a female, makes a beeline and starts beating the you-know-what out of her. You know, they're trying to steal her purse. I mean, at some point in time... People got to start taking back the streets, and I'm not blaming the cops for this. Uh, I, I do hold the court system partly responsible, but we've got to get a handle on this out of control crime. Yesterday is just the latest example. It's 9:20. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 9:22. Jeff Wagner, 6:20. WTMJ. The hunt for Brew October has the Brewers in Pittsburgh for the final time here in 2017 um they are one game behind the colorado rockies in the race for the second wild card spot how cool would that be brewers pirates from pnc park jeff levering and lane grindle hit the airwaves at 5:30 tonight with our coverage of the finale then the cubs come to miller park for a big four game series how it, it's just great it is just great at this point in the year to be looking at a team that's going to finish over 500. There are 11 games over 500 right now um, and is in the, the thick of of at least a race to make the playoffs. Just absolutely tremendous. And like I say, I don't think any of us would necessarily have anticipated that um, back in April at opening day. I just got one of I got a text message saying, did you seriously say that you think juvenile records should be made public? Yes. Well, at least here, here's what the catch was. Part... I think that when you are charged with a crime as an adult, I think your juvenile record should then be made public. Now, the whole idea behind keeping juvenile records secret, it goes back decades and decades where you did not have the violent behavior of juveniles that we have now. The idea was, hey, if you do something stupid at 15 or 16, you know, we we, we want to kind of, we, we don't want it to follow you the rest of your life. Um, but, but what we're talking about then is going out and, and, and TPing things or, or pranks or shoplifting or stuff like that. We're not talking about, you know, 14 and 15 year olds who are out committing, um, crimes of violence, but who for whatever reasons are not waived into adult court. So yes, I do think that once as an adult, you are charged with, say, a carjacking, 
I think all bets are off the table at that point in time because it's clear that the juvenile justice system has failed. I think the public has a right to know what your record was, and the public has a right to see how you were treated in the juvenile justice system. Now, again, I'm using this 18-year-old as an example. I, I don't know what his juvenile record was, if any. My instincts tell me, again, he's been in and out of the court system before because you just... You know, mostly you graduate to this. You generally start out doing something else before you decide you're going to beat up a 68-year-old woman and steal her car. But yes, at this point in time, I see no reason to protect anybody by saying, okay, you're 18 years old. Let us say for the sake of argument, you have a juvenile record that's as long as my arm. What, why, why protect them? You're committing crimes at 18? Yeah, I'd like to see what the person did as a juvenile, and I'd like to see what the judges did and what the prosecutors did in handling the kid when he was a juvenile and figure out why it didn't work. Because part of the problem we have, candidly, around here, is you have a juvenile justice system that is a joke. It is an absolute joke. You catch a 16-year-old who's stolen 15 or 20 cars, and they turn around and they release him on bail, and they send him back into the same home environment that let him steal 15 or 20 cars. And we wonder why the kid continues to commit crimes. And yeah, I'd like to see the judges. I'd like to know the judges that made those decisions. I'd like to know the prosecutors that made those decisions. And again, by the time, if you're still an adult committing crimes I think all bets are off. The public should know your record. Maybe that's one of the ways that we can finally start holding some of these judges accountable. Big thing number three is coming up. Obamacare, well, the repeal is back on the table. We'll talk about that. It's 926. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 929, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, former WTMJ4 anchor Mike Jacobs and his wife evacuated their Florida home in advance of Hurricane Irma. What did they discover upon returning? Find out when Mike joins John and Melissa today at 334 during Wisconsin's afternoon news. Now, interestingly, I, I know a lot of people who um, have second places, or in some cases first places, down in Florida, and they did the same thing. They, they, they evacuated, they got out of Dodge, and in most cases... Most of the people I know, and they live, you know, on the Gulf side, uh, Marco Island, Naples, Sarasota, uh, Tampa. Most of them are, are saying that uh, that they actually got out. They, most of them feel that they were pretty lucky. A lot of property damage to like trees and things like that, but structurally, a lot of the homes seem intact. So that is, of course, very good news. Okay, when we come back, big story number three: a last ditch effort to repeal Obamacare. We will discuss. Stick around. It's 934. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Big story number three. One more effort to repeal Obamacare. Here is the deal. The, the U.S. Senate has until the end of the month, they have until September 30th, effectively to try to repeal and replace Obamacare. Now, you say, why till September 30th? Because typically to get anything done in the U.S. Senate, you need to have... Uh, a f you need 60 votes to overcome a filibuster. There is a, a provision called reconciliation, which means that if you tie, be because, for example, Obamacare involves a ton of federal spending, if you tie it in with budgetary stuff, 
you can get it passed with a simple majority, 51 votes. But there's a time limit on that, and without getting too far into the weeds, just trust me on this. The the reconciliation period, the time to use that, expires on September 30th. So that, that means you've essentially got until... You know, a week from Friday, a week from Friday to get it done. So there, there's one last ditch effort that is going on to try to win support of a couple senators who ended up voting no before. Here's what they're looking at doing. Essentially, it is taking Obamacare and giving control to the states. Now, in Wisconsin, I think you can make a strong argument, and I will make the argument, that I think health care in Wisconsin was a lot better before Obamacare than it was after Obamacare. You know, we had Badger Care, which took care and offered insurance to people who were having, um, to, to low-income people or people who were having trouble getting coverage. You know, we had a, a pool for high-risk people. I mean, candidly, I think things worked, you had a lot more choices, a lot more choices before Obamacare than afterwards. I do not, in my opinion, believe we have been a net winner in Obamacare. And my argument would be, for anybody who is stuck on one of the Obamacare exchanges, the reality now is you you have no choice. You have, essentially, in many of our counties, you have one option. And that one option... Even within that option, it doesn't give you choices. You don't have choices of various networks. You've got one option, and that one option has your network, and it's got the limits on coverage. I think, like I say, lots of people, the majority of people, much better off in Wisconsin before Obamacare. We did, I think, a good, not perfect, but a pretty good job of offering coverage. And if we could turn back the clock, I continue to think we in Wisconsin would be a lot better off. That's essentially the essence of what this new bill is talking about. Um, There's two Republican senators who are pushing this, but it has a lot of support, including the support of our very own Senator Ron Johnson. They call it the Graham-Cassidy bill, and it has two major elements. The first element, and this is new, is a block grant. Each state would get a fixed amount of federal money for health care, and health insurance each year from 2020 to 2026. The allotments would total $1.2 trillion over seven years. This is slightly less than what the federal government is expected to spend under Obamacare. So it would be in the form, states would get money, but instead of having this run through the federal government, what would happen is it would be block grants so the states would do it. Suites would, states would have broad discretion on how to use the money and they could receive federal block grants um, without putting up state money. In addition, the bill would make deep cuts in Medicaid. It would end the expansion of eligibility under Obamacare, which uh, did extend coverage, and it would put the entire program on a budget, um, ending this open-ended entitlement that now exists. States would receive a per-beneficiary allotment of federal money. The Congressional Budget Office estimates that 15 million fewer people would have Medicaid as a result of similar proposals and other Republican bills, but that's not to say that they wouldn't be covered. But in essence, this gets helps get the federal government out of the business of health care. And, again, for people in Wisconsin, would be a way to go back to what we did before. 
All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I just, this is the last-ditch effort to try to get something done with regard to Obamacare. And I understand that you've got the left that's going to just not support this at all. I understand that you have, for example, the hospital industry, the medical providers who, who want to continue to get paid, and arguably state might end up cutting its payments. They don't want this. They have an investment in the status quo. But for anybody who is stuck in Obamacare, who has essentially no choices anymore, you get the letter saying, hey, you were with Blue Cross Blue Shield. Sorry, um, you, you no longer have that choice. We're pulling out of the marketplace, and your only option is one particular insurer who only has one choice for you. Wouldn't you be better off with what we had before. Now, I understand that some states, if they don't know what they're doing, that this could end up in not being potentially as good. But isn't this worthwhile? Don't we need to do something different as opposed to simply trapping people into a system which is, in fact, at least in my opinion, failing. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are you happy to see the Republicans taking one more shot at trying to reform Obamacare, or should we just say, all right, it's too much of a mess, it's an entitlement program, once it gets in, we're never going to do anything about it, and for the people who only have one insurer at almost no choice, well, you know, too bad, so sad, live with it. 414-799-1620. I think this has potential. And the idea, like I've said all along, the idea of getting us back to where we were before Obamacare, I think this would be a positive for the state of Wisconsin. And I guess if the state of Wisconsin can do it, I think we could be a model for other states to do it. 414-799-1620 is the number. Should we take one more shot at Obamacare, or should we just let it continue to limp on? Because the truth is, unless they do something in the next week or so, ain't nothing going to happen for a long time, if ever. It's 941. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 945. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, one other key element of this bill that the Senate might be taking up is that insurers would still have to offer insurance to anybody who applied, but an individual state could apply for a waiver which would allow insurers to charge higher premiums for people that had a pre-existing condition. I mean, what you do is like what we used to do in Wisconsin, where you had this high-risk pool, um, or omit some benefits they are now required to provide, like, uh, again, birth control. Well, okay, I, I think that's a good idea. I don't think we should have these one-size-fits-all all mandates. I just think, look, I, things worked out, I believe, well in Wisconsin before Obamacare. I think Wisconsin could be a national model, and I think this would be a good idea. Let's talk to um, Steve in Kenosha. Steve, you're first. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, I'm an insurance agent actually down here in Kenosha, and I, I couldn't agree with you more. It's about time that you know that the, the federal government, the Republicans, brought this to uh, brought this forward. Uh, it's something that I've commented about several times to Congressman Ryan. You know, back before Obamacare or ACA, whatever you want to call it, the traditional plans were, yeah, you if you were in good health or you only had minor issues, um, just about any insurance carrier would take you. Right. If you had uh, something that was 
a high risk or something that they would decline you on, uh, either Hearst for the state or Badger Care, depending on your income, would kick in. Right. Uh, and, 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 those program, and those programs, by and large, worked. So for the people that had the pre-existing cover- illnesses, they were still able to get coverage. Now, admittedly, they might have to pay a little bit more, but they were still able to get coverage. Actually, no. Uh, i give you an example. My ex, well, my, now my ex-wife, uh, who had diabetes, uh, type 2 diabetes, and it was just uh, oral medication, she, uh, she was denied by health care uh, back when I was first starting out. And I ended up going putting her on the Hearst plan. Uh, my stepson and I we were on a traditional plan, and the Hearst plan was not that more expensive. Hmm. Uh, it was very reasonable. It was twenty five hundred dollar deductible. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it worked, and there wasn't you know nobody had any problems. Uh, doctors were readily available. Right. Uh, People had so, choices. You weren't limited to just one. You weren't limited to one healthcare network necessarily, with only like one or two doctors that might be in your area. No, you you had a variety of choices. It, yeah, that's Wisconsin. It worked in Wisconsin in general. Why couldn't it work in the future? Well, exactly. That it's just we were talking about it this morning. Wisconsin works. You know, they have they have plans that actually work better than the federal government, and this is one of them. Um, no, I, no, okay. no, no, thank, no, thank, no, thanks for the call, Steve. I appreciate it. But that, yeah, I see, and, and that's, look, is, were things perfect? No, they, they weren't. But as far as, as affordability and choice, now I understand people might say, well, Jeff, okay, just because it worked in Wisconsin doesn't mean it's going to work in Mississippi. Well, all right, my, my answer would be, why do we assume that? I mean, I think Wisconsin could be a, a model of this. But all I know is I think people in Wisconsin in my opinion, were much, much better off as far as choices. And keep in mind also, and this gets lost, the vast majority of people in this country continue to get their insurance either from either through Medicare, if you're over 65, 65 or over, or through their employer. So we're really talking about a, a very small number of people in general. We have blown up the entire health care system for... Essentially, you know, comparatively, I mean, I understand 13 million people is a lot of people. I, I get that, but it's it's pales in comparison to where most people get their insurance. Um, let's see, Kevin texts. I don't know if this is the best, but something needs to be done. I'm self-employed. Under Obamacare, I lost my insurance. Then premiums went up 25% with my new insurance. Now this year, that insurer is leaving Wisconsin. I'd much rather go back to what Wisconsin did before. Yeah, because you are you are seeing this over and over again. There's just not the choices that are available as more and more of these insurers just bail on these insurance markets. And if you think that this um, isn't going to, if you think it's not going to get worse, um, I'm telling you. Uh, it, it, it is. Cindy in Eden. Cindy, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Jeff. Thank you for taking my, um, sure. my call. Um, I'm on the Affordable Care Act, and I did have an insurer give me that letter that um, my insurance is no longer available. Right. right were, now, were you with Blue Cross Blue Shield? I'm just curious. No, I oh. was not. Okay. Um, assurance. Okay. And um, now I'm with Dean. Fortunately, there was one insurance that still allowed me to go to the local hospital here, but you know that could have that could go away any right any time. Um, I had, my husband was on Hearst at one time. I thought I thought Wisconsin did a great job yeah. of covering people. In fact, when we first had this 
Obamacare stuff, I was shocked that other states didn't cover people like that. Right. Yeah. In, in Wisconsin, we well, again, like the last guy was saying, the insurance agent, you know, there were it was either Badger Care if your income was below a certain level, or you had the alternative that was there for the high risk pools. Other people were in the private market where there was competition. You could choose a lot of different insurance companies, road insurance. You could choose the policy that was right for you within your price range, and and people in general were happy with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I just. I mean, again, this is this ongoing frustration that's here, and that's why I, I just I think really, Cindy, they need to do something because my fear is for people like you, your choices moving forward are going to get narrower and narrower and narrower. I was, I, I think, seventy percent, and you know, people always get fact check on this, but the last number I saw was that seventy percent of the counties in the United States now have only one health insurance provider under Obamacare that's offered. I mean, 70%. People have no choice at all. What what yeah. happened to if you like your doctor? You can keep your doctor. And you pay a lot for it. Yes. You know, right. I pay over $500 for that privilege plus a $6,500 deductible. And say that again. How much? A $6,500 de- deductible. Wow. I pay over $500 a month for that privilege. $6,500, right, $6,500. Just for me, yeah, like nobody the, else. Yeah, like the last guy was saying that even under the high-risk plan, the, the old deductible was $2,500. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. Now, thank, thanks. See, and this is, these are the, kind of the real-world problems that, that are, in fact, out there. Now, is it possible that a state could screw up? Well, yes, it, it's clearly possible that a state could screw up. Um, but at that point in time, at least you've got people that are accountable. Look, we need to do something. And that's for, for the people that want to do nothing or say, let's just kind of tweak this. Well, I don't know how you tweak a fundamentally flawed system. I believe, and I've argued this before, Obamacare, even the people that passed Obamacare knew it was going to implode. And ultimately, the idea was to move us to either a single-payer system or you know, socialized medicine. I personally, and that's going to be one of the, I've, I've said this before, that's going to be one of the big issues moving forward, the idea of single-payer where we, we, get, we no longer have private insurance. Um, everybody pays a ton of money, and then you let the government take care of, of health care. Um, I, that, that's what I think ultimately was the plan. I just think that would be devastating. Jeff in Brookfield. Jeff, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. It's nice to talk to you. Thanks for calling. Um, my, my initial concerns have been somewhat alleviated. Uh, when you talked uh, in your early statement, it, this, this sum of money was going to be distributed among the states, and they could autonomously make right. Uh, whatever plan they were, you right. know, they, they developed. But, but as long as you're using, as long as they have to use, and I do mean have to use, some type of a format that's that's already proven work, that's worked, like the Wisconsin Badger Care Plan. Right. Then, 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 then I'm not so concerned. I I just didn't want to see again a uh, an influx of people into the states that have good health insurance programs. Right. You know, know, it's interesting. I I was looking at these numbers. 47% of the federal money that's spent on Obamacare 
goes to California, New York, and two other states. 37%, 37% goes to four states. <laughs> so it's kind of like, I mean, so, I mean, and that I think I would argue is fundamentally unfair. No, thanks for the call, Jeff. And look, I understand the devil is in the details, but I have been making this argument for years. What we did in Wisconsin worked. It, 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 can you point out situations where this might be an unfair thing or that? Yeah, but, but that's going to be the nature of anything. It, it worked under Scott Walker. It worked under Jim Doyle. It worked under Tommy Thompson. And I think it would work moving forward. Now, I would do other things. I, I would allow people to buy insurance across state lines and things like that. I think there's other stuff you could do to make it more of a free market type of thing. But but here's the bottom line. You've got to do something. That doing nothing, I don't think, is, is an option. Is this going to pass? I, I don't know. Because they still... You still need to figure out how you're going to get 50 Republican senators. Um, Rand Paul, very, very conservative, he's saying he's not going to vote for it because it it, it doesn't go far enough. It's still too much federal money, which, again, I, I think... I, God save us from obstructionists. Um, the Susan Collins and uh, Murkowski from Alaska both haven't said how they're responding to it. I think they're talking to the, their governors, saying, what do you think about this? John McCain, who knows where John McCain is? But the bottom line, if something is going to get done this year or for the foreseeable future, you've got until a week from Friday. And I hope the Senate I hope the Senate is able to make this happen. I, I think this would be a good idea. I certainly think it would benefit people in Wisconsin. And first and foremost, that's what I'm about. It's 956. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Hey, when we come back, they're eight years old, and they're not standing up for the national anthem. I'll tell you the story. Stick around. 1008, this is Jeff Wagner. So, Mike, you want, you want to go deep into the weeds with me for a moment? I've been dragged there by, I've been dragged there by my, <laughs> my producer, Scott Warris, who's filling in for the regular producer, BD. Okay, so the Brewers are a game behind Colorado in the wild card. Yes. There's like 11 games to play. If the Brewers and the Colorado Rockies are tied at the end of the year with the same record for that second wild card spot, do you know what happens? Is it a head-to-head situation? Uh, whoever has the best head-to-head record? No, no. They play. They have a game. They have a playoff game. You have a if so. If the Brewers and the Rockies are tied after 162 games, there is a one-game playoff to see who goes to the one-game wild-card playoff. They call it Game 163 because I mean what, the way it's going to work now. Whoever wins, that's the two wild-card teams. They have a one-game playoff to see who goes on to, like, the five-game series. Yes. Well, if they're tied for the second wild-card spot, they have a one-game playoff. So the Brewers and the Rockies would then play to see who has the right to play the Arizona Cardinals. Okay, so here's the other question. Now, that's not fair because you, you missed the first one, but but the second... <laughs> but, but, okay, all right, do you know who, how they decide, don't look through the window, nobody's helping you out here, do you know (laughs) how they would decide where the game is played? So you've got Colorado and Milwaukee playing for the right to be in the wild card spot. Do you know where, this? see this is great, we're we're helping people, they're going to be sitting at bars, you know, sharing this information tonight. Do you know where the game would be played? This has to be a best record, right? Best record. Overall. Right. Well, no, they're tied overall. They'd have the same overall record. Uh, I don't. I don't know. Best divisional record. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
No, no, it's actually it's the it that is the best head to head record. So they would look at <laughs> I was close. I was close. I was close. No, you weren't close. You were, the first you, one you would have been right if it was the second answer. The first one would have been right if it was the second answer. All right. Spalding flunks sports one oh one. Ooh. Ooh. Our our producer Scott Warris just broke bad on you there. All right. Thanks for playing anyways, I'm intimidated by... by, by th- thanks, th- <laughs> thanks for playing. Yes, it's, it's kind of like the, the poor news guy's trying to get out of the room, and then I just, just stop and say, I've got these... No, I mean, that. so that, this is the... But, okay, so here's where you get really even deeper into the weeds. All right, so let's say the Brewers and the Rockies end up with the same, the same record. Um, then you determine where is the playoff game. The playoff game would be in Colorado... Because Colorado won the season series from the Brewers four games to three. Now, if you want to really go into the weeds, you know who the Brewers played opening day. The op- the season first season series, Colorado was here, and the Brewers lost three of four games to Colorado the first week of the season. If in this scenario... And I understand people's heads are spinning. But if in this scenario the Brewers would have just split, gone two and two instead of one and three, um, the, the playoff game in my scenario would have been in Milwaukee. But instead it's going to be in Colorado. Huh. It just, it, 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 it's just strange to me how th- these games that you don't think very much of, I mean, yeah, it's, it's April, it's opening day, they lost the game or whatever. Um, you, you don't think, you know, you, you forget about it. But the truth is, any of those three games that they lost, if they would have won just one of them, in the scenario should they end up tied, it means you have to play in-game at Miller Park instead of in Colorado. But they lost three out of those four. So if, now hopefully, hopefully they're going to overhaul overhaul the Cubs. Because, I mean, going the wild card route is a tough way to go because you'd have to go and win a one-game play in uh, a thing against Arizona. But, you know, if they didn't, um, interesting scenario there. Just kind of, Save that. Keep that in mind. Talk about it with your friends over a beer tonight. All right. Just a, a couple more comments and some interesting emails and texts that I've been receiving um, about what we were just talking about, this new Republican reform measure. Um, here, here's Harry sends me a note. My wife and I own a small business in Racine. Before Obamacare, we had a 10000 deductible to keep our costs down, and our premium was about $450 a month. Now, under Obamacare, we still have a $10,000 deductible, but our premium has risen to about $1,400 a month. So it's about $1,000 more. Plus, my guess is the choices that you have of health care providers and networks dramatically, dramatically less. Um, Susan sends me a note saying, I heard last night that there may be higher charges for people with pre-existing conditions under the new plan. That doesn't seem fair. Majority of people with pre-existing conditions are older and have many times a fixed income. Not necessarily. I mean, because if you're over 65, you're on Medicare and it doesn't become an issue. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think... There is this idea. The question isn't, do you necessarily have a higher premium? The question is, is it affordable? And that's the, and I say, what we did in Wisconsin, I believe, largely worked. And if we could get back to that system, I think we would be a lot better off. All right. I want to back into this topic. I need to give you a little bit of explanation for this, because I don't know if you have been following this story. The headlines are riots in St. Louis. 
right? Over the last week or so, there were several nights of, of rioting in St. Louis over outrage at a verdict. It involves the, the death of a guy named Anthony Lamar Smith in 2011. I, I won't bury the lead here. Anthony Smith was a drug dealer who was shot by a, he's an African-American male, black male, he was shot by a white police officer back in 2011. And after a trial, the trial was held in front of a judge. You have in a criminal trial, you have the right to a jury, but you can waive that. Uh, If the defendant and the prosecution agree to have the case tried by a judge instead of a jury, you, you can do that. So in this particular case, the defense waived their right to a jury. The judge, uh, the prosecution, waived its right to a jury. So the case was decided by a um, the case was decided by a judge, and the the judge found him to be not guilty. Here's what happened: officers were investigating what they thought was a drug deal in the parking lot of a fast food restaurant in St. Louis. Now this goes back to 2011. They try to make the arrest. A car. The car speeds away. This is the car driven by, again, the guy who ultimately gets shot, Anthony Lamar Smith. So he's doing a drug deal. The police try to arrest him. He speeds away. There is a high-speed chase. Ultimately, police slam their SUV into Smith's car. The police officer, who was one of those involved in the chase, gets out and fires five shots into Smith's car, killing him. A handgun is found in the car after the shooting. The guy's partner, who is also out of the car, is screaming, gun, 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 and says he saw the driver's hand on a gun as the car speeds by him. Um, The officer who's involved in the shooting says he didn't draw his service revolver and fire until he saw the defendant reaching around the inside of the vehicle after it was stopped, they, they found a gun in the car. Okay, so that, you, you get the scenario of this. The defense, the, the prosecution charged him, and they, they had two theories. One theory was that the police officer had planted the gun. That, that, I mean, they did find a gun, but the theory was the police officer had executed this man and then planted a gun after the fact. The judge rejected that thought, said he just, he just didn't buy it, didn't believe there was the evidence. Um, the other argument was that the officer, his conduct demonstrated premeditation, that he intended to kill this man all along. Um, you know, what they found was that the drug dealer drove at speeds of up to 87 miles an hour on wet roads, endangered other drivers and pedestrians, um, etc., um, the police, one of the officers apparently said before the chase ended um, that he was going to kill this blank, don't you know it. Um, po- prosecutors argued the statement pro- proved premeditation. Um, the, the judge said, look, this, is, th- this was a vague type of thing. It doesn't demonstrate that. In any event, the judge acquits him. So you have outrage in the streets. You have people taking the streets in St. Louis and rioting. The police have to respond to this. All right, that's the background on this. In two minutes, I want to tell you how this story has led to a protest by eight-year-olds. 
And we're going to open up the phone line. Stick around. It's 1018. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1021, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Today's the day you get to outlaw that traffic pet peeve or ban that annoying habit belonging to your coworker. Scafidi and Bills that take your calls during there ought to be a law that begins today at 2 o'clock. Be sure to tune in. Okay, so I, I gave everybody a little bit of background on what's going on in St. Louis. People are taking the streets because the police officer shot the drug dealer who was trying to, the armed drug dealer who was trying to flee. All right? So that brings us to last weekend. There is a peewee football game. These are eight-year-old kids, and they play in, um, like, Bellevue, Illinois, which is the extreme southwestern part of Illinois, so it's very, very close to St. Louis. So that's, if you, you know, it's, it's on the border, uh, essentially. So here is the deal. The team consists of 25 players who are eight years old, or in some cases, younger. What happened on Sunday is... They play the national anthem before the kids' games. The kids all kneeled. None of them stood during the national anthem, and they turned their backs on the American flag. So they kneel, they refuse to stand, and they turn their backs on the flag. Okay, here's what happened. Their coach is a guy named Orlando Gooden, who used to play football himself. He says, well, here's what happened. One of the kids asked me if I saw people protesting and rioting in St. Louis. I said yes. Do you know why they're doing it? Um, According to the coach, the player said, because black people are getting killed and no one is going to jail. Um, The coach then said, that's right. Black people are getting killed and no one are going to jail. No one is going to jail. So then he said he felt that this was a teachable moment to talk to them about this case as well as others around the country. Black people are getting killed. Nobody's going to jail. Forget the fact that the black drug dealer flees the cops, apparently has a a gun, but that that doesn't come up. Um, The coach then explains why Colin Kaepernick has been kneeling before the game. So then, according to the coach, one of the players says, can we do that? And instead of the coach saying, no, you, you can't, the coach said, well, as long as we know why we're doing it, I don't have a problem with any of that. So he says, with the support of the team parents, the players immediately took a knee where they were standing when the anthem was playing. Their backs were turned to the flag. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Eight years old or younger, now being told or encouraged, engage in this protest, turn your back to the flag, um, although the coach says that that was inadvertent. I will never be convinced of that. But, yeah, d- d- just take a knee because black people are getting killed and nobody is going to, to jail. Let's protest this sort of injustice. All right. Was this a re- – and apparently they, they say the parents were on board with this. How do you handle something like this moving forward? Is this teaching the kids the right lesson? Are you using instead the kids as props for a political demonstration? And are we now at this point where – all right, let's just let's just skip the national anthem before these things. If it's really are eight year olds really, really old enough to understand the implications and engage in a protest? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. My answer would be this coach should be ashamed of himself. We discuss next. It's ten twenty four. This is Jeff Wagner. If you're on the line, please hold on. <laughs> 1026, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I should tell you that this coach is being praised for, well, his his 
approach to this. Here, we'll teach these eight-year-olds about protest. We'll pull a Colin Kaepernick. We'll turn our back to the flag, and we will kneel during the national anthem. Oh, really? Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on 620 WTMJ. Yeah, good morning, Jeff. Hey, uh, my thought is the coach should be fired immediately. Uh, these kids are at an impressionable age, and the national anthem has been around for hundreds of years. We all stand for the flag. We all stand for what's right here. And I believe that he is just dead wrong and should be fired. Well, see, I mean, the idea is, I mean, you, you have eight-year-olds. And, and I mean, I, if eight-year-olds say, gee, why are people rioting? Well, because black people are being killed by police and nobody is going to jail. Well, it might be a little bit more complicated than, than that, Mike. You know, it, namely saying well, that, well, you know. Well, I've got I, another, yeah, go I've got other thoughts, you know. But uh, well, right. the thoughts are. Right. Uh, no, I get. No. I mean, well, see, this is the see, this is the this is the whole I- idea here. It's like, and I, I'm getting text. Why? Why do you care? This is this is. We, we should be applauding this. This is the First Amendment rights to do that. Okay, you're talking about using eight year olds as a prop. And, and again, the, the conversation isn't. Um, it's oh oh well, this is terrible. I mean, black people are being killed by the police, and, and nobody's held account. Nobody goes to jail. Oh, that's terrible. Well, all right. It, it wasn't a discussion about. Gee, we have a criminal justice system here, and the man was a drug dealer who tried to flee police and had a gun that he theoretically pulled on the police officer. Might that change the conversation? But no, that doesn't fit the the narrative that's out there. You use these eight-year-old kids as props. I I think it's shameful. Now, I do want to say this. The coach is getting applauded by liberal circles. Oh, this is great. You're teaching kids about First Amendment. Um, You're teaching about the, the rights of the First Amendment to peaceful protest and things like that. At the same time, all right, just... This is one of those things where, you know, what message really have you sent the kids? Did you have a broad discussion of the issues here? No. Black people are being killed by police and nobody goes to jail. Huh. Let's talk to George in Delafield. George, you're on 620 WTMJ. Jeff, thanks a lot. Uh, First of all, I appreciate your support of scouting. Thank you, sir. Um, I think, as I said, I think the coach should have forfeited the game and then he should be fired. Eight-year-olds do not know what they're doing at that age. This coach is using it as a prop, and this is a disgrace, in my opinion. Well, it, uh, thanks, Scott. I mean, I, see, I, I agree. Now, they say, well, the, the parents, you know, the parents all approved of this. Well, okay, well, I would be curious to know what the discussion was with, with the parents, and what did they discussion they have with the kids. The bottom line here is they're, they're eight-year-old kids, and so now their, their lesson is, we don't have to stand for the national anthem. We'll turn our back on the flag. Okay, well, real good. You've sent a tremendous message um, under these circumstances. Maybe, again, when it comes to kids, can't you just let them be kids? Let's see, our text line has exploded. Jake says, absolutely disgusting and shameful. The coach should lose his job. This is not the time or the place, and the young age of the kids is just so inappropriate. Um, you know, this is, I mean, you know, who, who really, who really kind of ends up making these decisions? I understand that the coach is going to say, well, the, the parents all went along with it. And okay, you know, maybe, maybe the kids, maybe the parents went along with it. But really, was this based on a discussion of what happened here? Bill says, how about just letting the kids be kids? They have no idea why they're doing it. He should, um, be fired. 
and in New Berlin, Texas. I believe the teachable moment for that coach was to talk about the consequences of actions. He should have discussed what the drug dealer did to get killed by the officer, trying to uphold the law and keep the rest of us safe. I also think the coach should be fired. Um, yes. What if the coach said the opposite thing? Um, that's Amanda. She texts, what if the coach said the opposite thing, such as they should be standing on the anthem because I'll bet there would have been an uproar. Yeah, what if he said, yeah, you know, um, this Colin Kaepernick thing, I think Colin Kaepernick is completely wrong. You think that people would have felt the same way about that? Just saying. Okay, when we come back, a controversy involving Hobby Lobby and... And cotton. And I don't know how to describe this other than to say, if you think you've heard everything, trust me, you want to hear the next segment of the program. It's 1037. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, we're going to discuss whether this is political correctness run amok or whether another one of these evil stores completely insensitive to the American experience. Here's the deal. There is a woman. Her name is Danielle Ryder. Um, she lives somewhere in Texas. She goes in, this is last week, last Thursday, she goes into a Hobby Lobby. Everybody knows what Hobby Lobby is. It's the They're, they're controversial because the, the owners of Hobby Lobby are, are Christians. And they have been in the news a lot for fighting regulations which they believe interfered with the, release, the belief of their, their religious beliefs. So they are a target for the left as it, as it starts off. So anyhow, this woman goes into a Hobby Lobby in Killeen, Texas. Hobby Lobby, they, they, do, they, they do crafts and stuff. That's it for hobbies. Okay, and what she does is she sees a decoration that they have there. It's a um, it's a photo, and, and, she, and then she takes a photo of it, and she posts it on, on her Facebook. So what, what has created this? Well, it's a, it's a vase, and in the vase there are, I hope you're sitting down for this, and, and if you're driving, maybe you want to pull over to the side of the road, because I, I don't want you to be offended. It's a cotton decoration. Um, this again, it's it's a craft store. Hobby Lobby sells cotton and has always sold cotton. Um, it, it's it is something that they sell. It's called cotton stems in a glass vase. Um, and so what it is, it's a glass vase, and they have stems of cotton that are in that, and they sell it as a, a decoration. Right, they also sell it in their stores. So this woman walks into the Hobby Lobby store. She sees this thing out there. It's again, it's a glass vase with stalks of cotton in it. And she completely and totally freaks out at the cotton stalks. She takes a picture of it and she posts the following on the Hobby Lobby Facebook page. Quote, this decor is wrong on so many levels. There is nothing decorative about raw cotton, a commodity which was gained at the expense of African-American slaves. A little sensitivity goes a long way. Please remove this decor. So she walks into the store and she sees the cotton stalks in the glass vase. 
they sell this on their website. I mean, they, they say um, you, you can get it for $15. They describe it as a natural decor with hints of the great outdoors, including large fluffs of white cotton finish on each stem. So she puts this up, and she says, I am appalled by this. Oh, my gosh, this is bringing back memories. This is insensitive. This is, don't you realize that slaves, you know, picked cotton? To which Hobby Lobby says, we are surprised. We were surprised at the initial post because cotton, including raw cotton, has been sold in craft stores and used as a botanical decoration for decades. Um, and then they go on to say, based on responses to the original post, it does not seem that most people conflate a decorative choice with a regrettable chapter in American history. Let me translate. What they are essentially saying is, you have most people are not most normal people with sensibilities and sensitivities that I, I think reflect the societal norms aren't going to be appalled at a decoration that features cotton. And I guess I would add, where do you draw the line? I mean, if you're going to be offended and you're going to be suffering post-traumatic stress disorder as a result of seeing the stalks of cotton, what about what about the cotton shirts? What about the cotton underwear? I mean, do we need to do away with cotton because, well, it was picked by slaves? 414-799-1620. Okay, let's tee this up. Is this political correctness run amok? Or is this insensitivity? I mean, the woman walks in. She says, oh, my gosh, my, my ancestors might have had to pick. They might have had to pick cotton. And here Hobby Lobby is bringing this all back by using these cotton stalks as a decoration. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. It's 1042. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1046. Jeff Wagner, 620 WPMJ. How do local celebrities prepare to cheer on the Packers come game day? One of the area's most influential lawmakers joins Wisconsin's Afternoon News to share his green and gold traditions. That is today at 320. Coming up in about 20 minutes, some people in Mount Pleasant are whining about Foxconn. We will discuss that, so stick around. But right now we're talking about this woman who has created a stir on Facebook. She walks into a Hobby Lobby store um, in Texas, and they've got a glass vase with stalks of raw cotton in it. All right, It's a decoration that they sell. She is offended. She posts something on their Facebook page saying, This decor is wrong on so many levels. There is nothing decorative about raw cotton, a commodity which was gained at the expense of African-American slaves. A little sensitivity goes a long way. Please remove this decor. Now, just let me say at the start, I seriously doubt that the cotton she was looking at in the Hobby Lobby store in Colleen, Texas, last Thursday was picked by slaves. I, I just start that off a, as a premise. All right, let's talk to Brian on the north side. Brian, you're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Uh, hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Hi, Brian. Uh, yeah, this lady's just ridiculous. I mean, next thing she'll be saying, Michael Jordan's a traitor because he makes commercials. He doesn't have a problem advertising Cotton Haynes underwear. A very good point. Right, right exactly. I mean, it, if you're going to be offended by raw cotton, aren't you also offended by... By, by processed cotton. I mean, what, what, what's the difference? If this triggers memories of slavery for you, well, okay, get rid of the Hanes or whatever the T-shirts are. Get rid of the, I, I guess, am I racist because I'm wearing a cotton shirt right now? Hmm. Exactly. No, no, thank I mean, that, it is, it's, it's kind of where you draw the line. To that point, one of the people that responded, um, let's see, um, a, a woman um, who says, 
her name is Amanda Parker. She says, yeah, I know how you feel. Being Irish, I just walked past a bag of potatoes at the grocery store, and it totally triggered me. My ancestors are Irish. I had to go home and cry. Why would they sell potatoes, knowing the history behind it? It's so unfair and heartless. I think that the tongue is, of course, firmly in the cheek. Let's talk to Dave and Racine. Dave, you're on 620 WTMJ. Well, first of all, Hobby Lobby should be uh, praised and given every accolade for saying no to this woman's uh, obvious uh, um, hypersensitivity, and which is almost bordering on some kind of psychosis. But <laughs> the other thing is, I hope that also that woman doesn't get a headache because she might have to pick the aspirin out of a bottle. That, you know. Well, right, exactly, right. When you, I mean, thanks. Right, when, when you, right, when you open that bottle of bear aspirin or the thing of Tylenol or whatever, you know, a lot of times they might have that that cotton stuff, that raw cotton that's in there. Is that just a simple? Is that going to be a trigger for racism as well? Pat in Germantown. Pat, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. I've seen it twice in a home. I'm in a lot of houses by way of my profession. And the first time it was just in a vase on a table, and I, I thought it was a weird decoration, not my style, but I didn't think anything of it. But the second time I saw it in a home, the seller or the person was from Virginia, and they had a lot of dolls in antiques that were southern. The dolls were black. They had a lot of little knot hairs. And she had a lot of vases of cotton. I thought that was inappropriate. Why? Because it kind of went with the dolls, and they seemed like that was a slave thing to me. If they were white dolls, would you have an issue? No. Okay. All right. Thank. I, I guess I, I. I guess if your point is, is there some context where you could find a cotton decoration and. It could theoretically be racist. I guess I'd have to think about that. But uh, I mean, maybe. But but that's not what this is. <laughs> I mean, this, this this is. I mean, cotton is a plant. Okay, this is just. It is a decoration. And I think as the point that Hobby Lobby makes, stalks of cotton have been used as decor as decorations in homes. And, and maybe it's your taste. Maybe it's you're not. But um, they've been used as decorations for hundreds and hundreds of years. And again, like I say, I, I don't I seriously doubt whether it was whether it was slaves that picked this particular cotton. And by the way, there's a lot of people who pick cotton nowadays and it's it's not it's not just slaves. Okay, let's go to our text line. Every time I drive through Georgia, I see cotton fields. Should we insist the farmers switch to peaches because we are offended? Maybe kneel for the anthem if he doesn't. Um, <laughs> you see how this is gaining steam. Yeah, that's the that's the type of thing that's going on here. Um, another text here. Why doesn't she find things like sugar, wheat, tobacco, peanuts, and corn offensive? Slaves have been known to pick those too. Why not stop there? Some slaves had to tend to cattle and hogs. So she would find beef and pork products offensive as well. Um, I mean, really, where do you end up, uh, Dan says, what about Q-tips? Uh, again, you have these different issues. Beth says, the stalks of cotton being sold by Hobby Lobby were not picked by slaves. Um, <laughs> neither can this snowflake, oh, snowflakes hate to be called snowflakes, uh, Beth, neither can this snowflake have memories of being a slave melt away. I mean, this is, look, 
putting up a text. The lady is nuts. I would understand if it were a decoration depicting a slave picking cotton, but just the stalk of cotton in a vase. And that's what this is. You know, this is, they say that this is, you know, um, crazy. Uh, matter of fact, somebody sent me a text. Yeah, that, I mean, big cotton, like Cotton Incorporated. They're surprised by the controversy because, uh, again, cotton is is a common use. It's used again, um, you know, as as a buffer it, when they, they put it in the pill bottles. You you have that aspirin. It is used as a decoration. But at what point in time do you draw the line? Look, this is where I come down on this. I understand that there is real racism in this world, and when you have real racism, it it needs to be condemned. I I get it, but at the same time, for people who go around looking to be offended by something. You know, I call them the the politically correct and the perpetually offended. They do a huge disservice when real racism comes out because, you know, most people, black, white, brown, you know, see these types of stories and they say, really? I mean, this this woman is offended because you're using cotton as a decoration. Um, One of my texters says, I'm so sick of the BS on racism in this country that every time I hear a story about this, I want to turn the radio or the TV off. This country is not racist. Well, I don't know. I mean, maybe some some people in the country are racist. But if you want to focus on the issues with racism, pick the real racism in the world. Don't get worked up over, oh, there's a decoration of, uh, there's a decoration that uses cotton stalks in it. Heaven forbid, you know, this should be awful. Yeah, I mean, does she go to the drugstore and say, oh, it's Q-tips, I'm having PTSD. It's just, and again, now it becomes a story, and then Hobby Lobby, the media calls Hobby Lobby and asks them to respond. And Hobby Lobby, I give them credit, their response was, we, we don't get it. <laughs> you know, and, and that's, that's the best response. You know, too often, companies give in to the squeaky wheel. You know, they have the cliche that says the squeaky wheel gets the grease. I've always believed that sometimes just let the squeaky wheel squeak, and sooner or later it'll stop squeaking and fall off, and everybody can get on with their life. It is 1054. We've got a lot of stuff coming up in the next hour of the program, plus an update in just a couple minutes before the top of the hour on a guy who should be a judge, and we can't let Tammy Baldwin stop that from happening. Stick around. It's 1054. Fifty-seven. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. Our text lines exploded. Unreal. One of my favorite John Gresham novels is *A Painted House*, which is loosely autobiographical, as he himself lived on a cotton farm. The story is about a young white boy who is up before dawn picking the cotton, along with the other help being whites hired from uh, the hills, as well as people from Mexico. There's not a black person in the book. Going to Hobby Lobby today to try to buy one of these. Yeah, it's and. Uh, I think 15 bucks, you know, 15 bucks, you can get the vase and you can get the cotton stalks. Like I say, as a decoration, I, I don't know that it's necessarily for everybody, but at the same time, it would never have occurred to me to look at this and say, oh my gosh, I'm going to be offended, there's racism. Hey, I want to give you an update. The, the longest, the, the, the way it works in the federal system, federal judges on both the local level, the district court level, and the appellate court level, and the Supreme Court level, are uh, they're nominated by the president. They are confirmed by the U.S. Senate. The longest vacancy 
that exists in this country right now for the U.S. Court of Appeals is a position that goes to is supposed to go to a Wisconsin judge on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit, based out of Chicago. Um, former Judge Terry Evans died in I want to say 2011. It's been vacant since then. President Trump has nominated Michael Brennan to the spot. He's a former district attorney, assistant district attorney, former Milwaukee County judge, highly thought of in the legal community. Yesterday, the, um, it was announced that the American Bar Association had found him to be highly, um, had, had found him to be well qualified, which is their highest rating. So they're saying, okay, this guy is well qualified. Tammy Baldwin is still trying to hang up Brennan's nomination. And there's this old process they have in the Senate called blue slipping, which is if a senator from your state doesn't like you, you can they, they can block it from coming to a vote. When we've talked to Ron Johnson, he says, look, this, this guy's going to get appointed, um, and it might mean that the Senate has to change its rules to stop Tammy Baldwin from obstructing a quality, qualified, conservative judge from filling a vacancy that has been open for going on six years for now. But like I said, the ABA rates Mike Brennan as well qualified. That is their highest rating. It's it's time to have him voted on. It's 11.09, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. No, Mike, I'm not going to pick on you anymore about the playoff paper thing. You, no, we were, I, I was actually kidding around, Mike. I, I gave him a, a quiz, which he failed miserably at the start of the, after the 10 o'clock news, but well intended. Um, the Brewers, for, for, again, this is, if you weren't listening an hour ago, it, it's sort of like this little trivia thing. Uh, the Brewers are one game behind the Colorado Rockies for the second playoff spot, the, the, the second wild card spot. The way it works in baseball nowadays is that in both the American and National League, you have three, um, there's, there's, you've got the three divisions. And then there's a fourth and a fifth team. The teams with the next two best records qualify as wild card participants. The way it works is the two wild card teams meet in a one game playoff. And the winner of that game then goes on to, uh, again, play in a, the best of five game series against one of the three division winners. That's kind of how it works. Arizona is going to be a wild card winner. So it's going to be either the Brewers or, or the Rockies. I guess there's, the Cardinals technically have a chance, but it's unlikely. So either the Brewers or Rockies are going to be the second wild card team. They would then go to Arizona for this one-game playoff to see who advances to the five-game playoffs. That's how it, best of five-game playoffs. That's how it works. Now, one of the interesting things is it's a 162-game season. So what happens if the teams end up tied? What if, happens if the Rockies and the Brewers end up tied? And the answer is... They have a one-game playoff to determine who goes to the other one-game playoff. And if that happened under that scenario, the game would be in Colorado because Colorado won the best, won, had the better record in the head-to-head series. Uh, they won the series against the Brewers 4-3. to three. Interestingly enough, the Colorado Rockies and the Brewers played Opening day, the Colorado Rockies were in Milwaukee, and they won three out of the four games. And that's really what what the difference is. If the Brewers would have won one more game, um, then the play, if in my scenario, under a tie, the game would have been in uh, Milwaukee. But it's going to be in Colorado. I guess those are the different scenarios that are out there. Try that out as you're discussing things over a beer tonight uh, with your buddies. All right. It is an element of the budget that I guess I never thought that it was going to be particularly controversial. 
But now that it has been passed and will be signed into law, it is. It's being called the Prius tax. Now, the way we fund transportation in Wisconsin, really, it's two ways. It's through automobile registrations. And, you know, all car owners pay the same in automobile registration. What is it, 70 or 75 bucks? Now, if you live in Milwaukee County, you pay extra. If you live in the city of Milwaukee, you pay even more than that. But everybody across the state pays the state the same amount of money to register their cars or their SUVs. If you've got a truck, it's different. But it, you, you pay the same. Um, so that's one way that we fund road repairs. The second way we fund the roads, road building, road repairs, is through the gasoline tax. So, um, and it doesn't, you, you pay um, a 32, approximately, 32 cents a gallon at for every gallon you pay, uh, every gallon you buy, you pay the 32 cent tax, that goes to the state. So, how do you handle a situation where you have cars that ride on the roadways, use the roadways, but use almost no gasoline, whether it's the hybrid cars or the completely electric cars. They're still using the roadways. They're still providing wear and tear on the roads, but they're paying almost no gas tax because they don't run on on gasoline or they don't use much gasoline. Um, Well, there's a lot of people, myself included, who thought that, you know, you, you need to figure out a fairer way to do this. So in this budget, there is now what they call the, the Prius penalty. And what this does is it says if you're going to drive one of these vehicles, you are going to have to pay an extra fee, which would kick in to make up for the fact that you're, you know, you're not buying gas, but you're still using the highways. The new fee, it's only going to contribute about $8 million to the transportation budget. Um, and it's going to be an annual fee of around $100. So you'd pay an extra $100. It's only going to contribute about $8 million to the transportation budget. So it really is kind of a drop in the bucket compared to other things. But it's all based on at least this notion of fundamental fairness. If you're going to use the roads, everybody should pay their fair share. I think there's other ways that you should do things, too, including um, added fees on trucks. And I know trucks pay more right now, but added fees on trucks for the different wear and tear that they're causing, or maybe, you know, go after them based on mileage. But this is, it's a $100 fee for the hybrid users or for the electric car users on top on top of the regular registration fees. I thought this was going to be actually not particularly controversial, but nowadays, you know, in Wisconsin, everything is. I was looking at a story in, of all places, the Capital Times, where, um, again, one of their columnists I rate that the state legislature wants to essentially punish people for driving a driving an environmentally sensitive vehicle like a hybrid or like an electric car. They call it the Prius penalty. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, let's just tee this up. Do you think it is unfair to say to drivers of hybrids, 
or drivers of these electric cars who, by the way, might have had the purchase of their cars subsidized by the taxpayers as well. Do you think it's unfair to say you should pay an extra fee when you essentially register your car because you're not buying gasoline, so you're not contributing to the transportation budget in that fashion? Hundred bucks, is that unfair? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Honestly, while I acknowledge it is just a drop in the bucket, and we've got to figure out other ways to deal with the long term budget issues when it comes to transportation. And maybe this is from my perspective because I don't drive a hybrid and I don't drive an electric car and I don't intend to drive a hybrid or an electric car in the longest, in the at least in the foreseeable future. But I guess I don't think it is unreasonable to say a hundred dollars um, to make up for what you're not paying in gas. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's eleven sixteen. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Now there's some controversy. As part of the state budget that I anticipate the governor is going to sign, there is is what they're calling the the Prius penalty. Um, If you drive a hybrid or an electric car, you will have to pay an extra $100 to make up for the fact that you're not buying gasoline and not contributing to the state transportation fund by virtue of the gas tax. This doesn't strike me as being unfair. How about you? 414-799-1620. Let's start with, uh, let's see, Phil in Pleasant Prairie. Phil, good morning. Good morning. What do you think? Uh, well, like I said, I think $100 for a hybrid is fine, but if you're going to use a total electric vehicle, I think it should be more like 150 or 175 So you'd really stick it to those Prius owners, huh? Well, no, not that, but... Uh, I just think if they're not going to have to buy any fuel at all, and they're still going to use the roadways, you know, raise it up a little bit for a right. total electric. Well, no, I, I mean, I, see, now, I, I actually, I thanks for calling. I actually think, see, there's larger issues here. I mean, to me, to me, the perfect situation would be if you could figure out a way to actually tax people based on mileage driven. You know, because that's, because you, you, I mean, I understand, how how do you take this fairness argument? Do you say, well, um, all right, there's people that pay the registration fees. If it's a second car that you only take out and you only drive um, 5,000 miles a a year and you don't use it that much, you have to pay the same registration fee as somebody who drives their car 50,000 miles. Where does the fairness come in? And I I mean, in a perfect scenario, what you would do is you would, identify the people who are driving the most and, and maybe make them pay the most. But as a practical matter, I don't know how you, you do that. You have enough trouble with people registering cars in the first place without simply saying, okay, well, every year you're going to have to take it in and we're going to have to see how many miles you put on it. That's kind of the problem. Okay, Jill sends me a note. My husband and I have a Ford C-Max Energy A gas electric car. We love it and have no problem paying extra for our registration. It only seems fair when we are getting 300 miles per gallon. Wow, 300 miles per gallon. Let's talk to Bob in Appleton. Bob, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. What do you think? Well, I, I don't have a problem with the concept of uh, 
getting some additional tax revenue from people that use the roads but don't pay as much gas tax. But I don't know why we're picking on hybrids and electric cars. I happen to own a Ford C-Max hybrid, mm-hmm. and I rented a car the other day, that a regular gas guzzler, I guess, although it doesn't guzzle much gas because it actually gets better mileage than my hybrid does. So it would make a lot more sense to me if you want to tax in this manner to pick a cutoff in terms of miles per gallon and say if your car gets over X miles per gallon, you pay the extra tax rather than picking on hybrids and electric cars specifically. So like identify those classes of cars that you say, so your idea would be um, any car that, uh, according to its rating, gets more than 45 miles a gallon, more than 40 miles a gallon, or whatever. You number, would impose right, it right, whatever it is. You'd impose a tax on that. Yep. Um, well, I, I, I think, think that's more fair. Well, fair. I mean, I guess that's it's more why because you think they're unfairly singling out the hybrid drivers. Right, because if if the issue is not whether it's a hybrid or electric car, the right. issue is. They don't pay enough gas tax because their gas mileage is too high. Right. So if you've got a, I don't know, a smart car or something like that that gets very high mileage, you have the same issue even though it's technically not a hybrid. Would you then draw a distinction between the people that drive the fully electric cars like the Priuses versus the people that are driving, I don't know, the economy car that's getting 45 miles a gallon, if that was the number? Would you have the Prius owner pay more? Well, I don't know about Prius because most of those are actually hybrids, not full electric. But if it was a full electric car, mm-hmm. um, maybe you would tax them a little bit more. Okay. No, I mean, I, I My th- whole issue is the mileage. No, no, I, I get it. And I, and I, I mean, thanks. For, and I, I understand that. And I, I have to think it through. I guess I'm not necessarily rejecting that. I, because candidly, like I was saying earlier, I, I mean, I think the if we're talking about fairness. The fairness would be based on who uses the roadways the, the most. Um, you know, if you're, again, and, and I would tie it into not just the mileage that the car gets, I would tie it into the actual miles that, that you drive. Because, uh, again, if you're driving, I don't know, if you're driving thousands and thousands of miles, you know, you're putting more wear and tear on the road than somebody who's only driving, you know, a couple thousand miles in, in the car. So, I mean, I, I think, you know, fairness, it's tough to figure out how you describe that. I guess big picture, though, while we're trying to wrestle with all these different concepts, I'm not offended by the idea of saying if you own, you know, one of the, one of the really efficient cars, if you own the electric car or you own the, the hybrid that's getting really high gas mileage, I'm not offended by saying that you have to pay a little bit more in registration. I do appreciate what you're talking about, though, when you say fairness, um, because arguably the whole system we have isn't fair right now. Let's talk to Dwayne and Trevor. Dwayne, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. What do you think? I think well, I think that the, the, the idea makes sense at the surface. I'm not a hybrid person. I'll never own one, just not my style. I don't like the idea of, of penalizing somebody for doing a good deed, saving the environment, all that kind of thing. And I'm not a tree hugger. Right. I think there was a better... I think there's a better way to go about this. I think there's more low-hanging fruit. And what I mean by that is in the state of Wisconsin, we don't have to register trailers under a certain number of feet. So, for example, snowmobile trailers go unregistered. 
um, jet ski trailers, boat trailers, many utility trailers. Right. There's probably, I don't know the, the number of hybrids in the state of Wisconsin, but I'm going to bet that in the state of Wisconsin, we have more snowmobile trailers and boat trailers than we do hybrid vehicles. Mm-hmm. You're gonna, you, you realize you're going to have the tourism industry all upset with you with this one, Dwayne. You realize that, okay? <laughs> well, I, happen, I, happen to own a, I happen to own a boat trailer, a, a jet ski trailer, a okay. boat trailer, and a utility trailer. I, 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 I understand. So, you, so you're saying tax you, tax, I, and I get that. I, thanks, see, I appreciate that. And I, I appreciate the I, Look, I, and I guess this is, um, okay, I have a note here. What about hybrids from Illinois? How do we get money from them? No, the answer is you don't. I mean that's that's the answer. This this doesn't take that into account, right? If you are if you are an out of state driver and you're coming up here um, and you're you're towing your trailer with your hybrid, for example, no, you're you're not going to get nailed by this. And so that's why there, there's no perfect solution that, that's out there. I guess I'm just trying to analyze this from a from a micro level, and I don't think that this is an unreasonable thing. I, I do think, and this is one of the conversations that hung up the, the state legislators and trying to get the budget through. This is one of the things that gives them pause because you're trying to figure out. We, we need to raise more money for the roads. Nobody wants to come down. Nobody wants to pay higher taxes. So the question is, given the fact that we need more money, how can we do this? What is the fairest way? Can you set up toll roads? Would people prefer tolling? I know that's one of the things that they're looking at, but you can't just put toll roads. I, I Trust me, my recovering lawyer days, you can't just put toll roads up um, on the entrances from you know Illinois or Minnesota and only tax people there. You'd have to put toll roads all across the state. So that becomes a controversy, and that's years away. So you've got that. You've got the idea of, you know, should we make truckers pay more than they already do? Well, I think there's a lot of an appeal to that, making them pay actual mileage. But, of course, then you run into the, the trucking industry who says this is going to be absolutely terrible and it's going to kill business and it might be unconstitutional. There's all these different issues, so it, it, it's a grab bag, and it's a problem. We've got to figure out how we're going to get more money. I think, again, taxing the electric vehicles or the hybrids, I think that is a reasonable thing to do. And if you want to say it's easy for you to say that, Jeff, because you don't own a hybrid, I will take that criticism. It's 1127. This is Jeff Wagner's. But at the same time, I also, there's just one of me. I own two cars, I, so I pay dual registration fees, including registration fees in Milwaukee County for the time being for cars that I really don't use that much on the roadway. It's 1128. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, former Packers general manager Ron Wolf officially received his own street in Green Bay yesterday. But his young granddaughter stole the show at the ceremony. Check out the video. It is up now in the Packers section of WTMJ Mobile. Hey, where you're there, you can check out all the podcasts. We podcast all the TMJ shows. We also have podcasts of voices that you don't hear on a daily basis on the radio. Um, check them all out. And I know lots of people download my podcast. Sign up to do that. If you can't listen from 8.30 to 12, well, maybe you're in the gym later on. You can still listen. Check out the podcast. It's 1136, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Today is the day you get to outlaw that traffic pet peeve or ban that annoying habit belonging to your coworkers. Scafidi and Bilstead take your calls during there ought to be a law beginning today at 2 o'clock. Scott Warris, who is executive producer, who's been filling in today. Um, annoying habit belonging to your coworker? Do we have any coworkers that have annoying habits? 
Oh, I'm not. I, I'm not going to say that on the air. I'm not going to mention him on the air. I can't believe you just said that. Huh. Oh, he's a nice guy. You really want me to call him out like that? No, no, no. I'm we're 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 not going to actually. I, the truth is, I think I disagree with. That. I don't think there's my, my coworkers. Maybe it's just because I'm not here. I, I mean, I come in, I do my show, I, I leave. Maybe I'm just not here enough to notice annoying habits. But no, I'm, I I think I wouldn't say that about our coworkers. But if you've got if you've got a coworker that has an annoying habit that you think should be outlawed. Well, uh, tune in, Scafidi and Billstead. They take your calls beginning at two o'clock today. Okay, this, this is a this, this is a true story. If if you haven't been in downtown Milwaukee recently, my my advice is don't go. Not because of crime, but because especially if you're trying to go around the heart of downtown, you cannot get there from here because we have Tom Barrett's streetcar. True story. The other day. I was down, I was downtown, and I, I had to drop something off. And I thought, you know, there, there's a there's a, a restaurant I like to go to to get carryout from. And I thought, oh, this is great. I'm I'm gonna I'll go over there. I will pick up I'll pick up lunch. This will take care of you know this will take care of me. All right, fine. So I I try to drive from let's say I was up by Marquette. I, I try to drive east, particularly east of the river. You cannot get anywhere in downtown Milwaukee. So I, I really I wanted to try to get to this place so I could spend money, get a meal, take it home, take care of myself. And, and now the key to going and patronizing businesses is it does, I'm willing to go a little bit out of my way, but at some point in time when it becomes just too difficult to get around, you, you end up throwing up your hands and saying enough is enough. And, and I swear, I spent I spent the better part of, of 15 minutes trying to navigate streets that were closed or streets that were so torn up that they were almost impassable or streets that were now you could only go one way, only to find when I tried to get close to the... I, that First of all, it was almost impossible to get close to the restaurant I just wanted to go to. And secondly, when you did, there, there were only like a handful of parking spaces and I would have probably had to park a quarter mile away or more and walk. And even though I liked the carry out from this restaurant, it just it wasn't worth it. <laughs> it was like, okay, this is it. I've tried. I've made my effort. And candidly... I don't know the next time I'm going to go back because I don't know when the roads aren't going to be torn up. Now, I was thinking about this because I know for many of you, you, you don't have any choice. Now, for me, it was a discretionary thing. I didn't have to go try to patronize this particular restaurant. But for many of you, you you've got to try to get around downtown. I, I bring this up because if it's possible, it has just gotten worse in downtown Milwaukee because as of, what, two days ago, the intersection of Plankinton and St. Paul has now been closed for, will now be closed for at least 10 days. And again, why is this being closed? Why are the streets, particularly east of the river, all torn up? Well, it's because of the Milwaukee streetcar. So those orange barrels and barricades that you see that are lining the streets that are all over, well, it's the streetcar. And I, I know because I've been hearing from a number of people First of all, we're tearing up the roads to make it impossible for people to get around so you can put in a streetcar that nobody is going to ride. I understand that any time you have road construction, there is going to be some inconvenience. But the truth of the matter is, at least right now, and I think for the, for, for the, the recent past, 
it has been almost impossible to get around in this city. And I'm not sure that the people at City Hall, they either don't understand how bad it is, or they just flat out don't care. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Has the streetcar construction been so bad that it's changed your driving habits? Because I have to tell you, i got to believe that this is killing, killing some of those downtown businesses that in particular depend on people coming in from the suburbs or the people like me who want to, hey, casually, let's stop by the restaurant, let's pick something up, let's run into this store, let's run into that store, because the problem is right now you just cannot get there. 414-799-1620, that's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I just, it's if you haven't been downtown lately, I don't think you, I don't think you can describe how bad this is two people. Let's start with Kyle in Waukesha. Kyle, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. How are you doing today? I am well, but I don't have to drive downtown this afternoon. <laughs> yeah, even though I work or live in Waukesha, I work downtown Milwaukee on Kilbourne in Milwaukee, so it's right in the heart of it, and I mean, every day the patterns are changing. Uh, my parking structure that I park in, if I leave work at 5, I just stay in my office because the parking structure gets so backed up. People trying to exit that Usually five thirty, five forty-five. I can finally get out. And so, so you just can't get out. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's a, like like either leave at four or just prepare to hunker down. Oh yeah, I things. know people that'll cut out you know ten minutes before just beat the beat the people out of the office building because parking structure is so bad because it's only one way and everybody's coming that way. Um, it right, and I, I just and and it's been that way for a while, right? Yeah, it's been that way for probably most of the summer. Out by me. I mean, right. we're right in the hub of it, right? Pretty much the streetcar's going to circle us, so. Right. No, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. No, it's, um, I mean, this is, you know, it, it's a huge issue that's there. Now, of course, on top of this, on top of the streetcar, you also have the, the Bucks Arena, which has been a, a nightmare for transportation on if you're trying to drive around on, on the west side of the river. But at least, at least for that, you're getting an arena. Let's talk to Kurt in Bayview. Kurt, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Uh, I work, uh, my office, the office building I work in is on Broadway in Wisconsin. Sure. And the trolley's going right down Broadway. Broadway was tore, torn up for the better part of 12 to 9 months, 9 months or a year. Right. And the entrance to my park, the parking lot, this parking structure of my office is right on Broadway. So I've had to circle around downtown numerous times, <laughs> just 15 minutes. To get to work, <laughs> just to get into your parking space. Just to get into my parking space. <laughs> right, right. Um, um, and to, to just add on to that, um, I had a, my mother-in-law was downtown, and she's trying to get to BMO Harris, and BMO Harris is currently under construction as well <laughs> because they're building a new office building there. Okay. And she she because of all the construction going on. She and some some other, she found some woman crying in the street. Oh. <laughs> she was in a wheelchair and she couldn't get into BMO Harris because of all the construction. 
Um, yeah, it, it's just, it, and it's, now I understand you got the NML, the, you know, the Northwestern Mutual building that, that's going on there as well, but it has just been a mess. And I, I don't know if it's part of Tom Barrett's master plan just to make it so impossible to drive um, in downtown that everybody's going to have to be on the trolley. Okay, let me, as long as you called, Kurt. Okay, once they put that trolley in, so you're, it's gonna, the trolley line's going to run right in front of where you work. Do you think that you're going to be a regular user of that? No, but I live in Bayview, so <laughs> why am I going to ride the trolley? And, you, t- you know, you were talking about businesses being shut down or right. the traffic being limited. I was in the Third Ward just yesterday. I took a walk through the Third Ward where they're doing all kinds of work there for the trolley, too. And they've got that. They've got Broadway and St. Paul just about completely shut down. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. You right. I I literally yeah. I right. I literally. I mean, I there's a lot there's a lot of restaurants and that, that I will patronize. I have just unfortunately given it up for the time being because it seems like you just can't get anywhere from where I am. And um, th- thanks for calling. And, I, and th- this is. I mean, the, the effect effect that Tom Barrett's trolley is having on local businesses that will never get any significant benefit from this is just, you know, almost unbelievable. Let's see, John sends me a note. Jeff, my son goes to MSOE and lives in the Juno Tower Apartments. I think he's referring to Juno Village. Um, I, it's close to impossible to get to his apartment, and there's close to zero street parking, too. So not only can you not get where you want to go, you can't park when you get there. Um, right. But what are we going to get in exchange for this? Well, we're going to get the trolley that nobody's going to ride. It's 1145. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1149. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I want to give you an update on a story that we discussed yesterday that I I acknowledge it it continues to haunt me and and one of the recurrent themes in this program is of course the out of control crime in the city of Milwaukee which is now spreading to the suburbs and spreading to surrounding counties and again I I think it's frustrating to me because there's no easy answer what's happened is there's been years and years of neglect Um, we've treated criminals with kid gloves, you've got the revolving door system, and that I think has only encouraged people. You also have younger and younger people that are committing crimes. They're not being held accountable. And, and there's, there's no easy answer to this. You know, plus you've got the larger question that's beyond my capabilities of analyzing. It's why are people committing crimes? All I know, I'm just a law enforcement guy, and all I know is that, okay, if you're 16 years old and you've stolen 30 cars, you, you shouldn't just be sent back to mom and dad to go out and steal again, and yet that is what happens on a regular basis. But there's stories that, that haunt you, and this is a story that, acknowledged, admittedly, has haunted me. Last, last Friday night, what happened is there's a 60-year-old man who worked, I think, part-time for some extra money making pizzas, and he, he, was, he was shot and killed. What happened was that he was set up. It, at least the theory that the police are working on is that um, somebody ordered a pizza um, for an apartment building at, at North 75th and West Glenbrook Drive. So the guy shows up, the 60-year-old delivery driver shows up, um, gets out, and he's, he's shot. 
Um, he's shot and killed. The two people, the police now, and it was a robbery. I mean, it was one like, let's rob the pizza delivery guy. And let's kill the pizza delivery guy. Uh, the police have now apparently arrested a 25-year-old guy who lives in an apartment in the building, as well as the man's 17-year-old cousin. So you got a 17-year-old and a 25-year-old who apparently murder a 60-year-old pizza delivery driver in cold blood. I mean, seriously, in cold blood, as, as, all, as part of this, you know, robbery. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, first of all, how much money can you get from a pizza delivery driver? I, I mean, seriously, you know, how, how much could he have? 20 bucks? 50 bucks, 100 bucks. How much money could the man theoretically have on his pocket? And and yet, th- this is, you know, the, the cost of life. You've got a 60-year-old guy who, who's dead. But unfortunately, just like so many people now, they're becoming targets. And I guess, I, I know we have talked about this before, but I really do think it is getting to a point where you're going to have, like some of these businesses, look, and I understand there's a lot of businesses around here who depend on deliveries. That, that's the nature of the business. You call us up, we'll get the sandwich to you. We'll get you the pizza. And if you take away deliveries, well, you're going to hurt their business substantially. But at the same time, I, I'm, I'm telling you, if I, was, if I was a delivery driver, I think this would be one of the occasions where I would seriously consider carrying a gun myself, getting the permit, carrying the gun legally myself, so you could potentially defend yourselves. The bigger picture is, you know, what are these stores going to do to protect their drivers? And I think one of the things that you're going to have to see happen more and more is that the drivers are just not going to be allowed to get out of the cars because that's where a lot of the robberies and the assaultive behavior happens. So if you order a pizza... What happens is you got to give a phone number, and then once you get to, once the driver gets to the location, he calls the phone number and says, "I'm here. Come out and get your pizza." Now that doesn't stop. That won't necessarily stop every robbery. But if the rule is, with the drivers are the most vulnerable when they're out of the cars. If the rule is, you know, you're not out of the car. You, know, you at least give the driver a fighting chance. Now, that's not saying that somebody couldn't run up with a gun and try to carjack them or something. But if you're in the car, you've got more chances. You can hit the gas. You can try to flee. You can do things. And I, I know that it's tough to even suggest this, but seriously, would you want to be a delivery driver in the city of Milwaukee when you've got all this stuff going on? I mean, again, how much money could they have gotten? 17-year-old and a 20-something-year-old killed this 60-year-old man who brings him a pizza at like 9 o'clock on Friday night. How much money could they possibly have gotten? And now that guy's never going to go home and see his family again. And the 17 and the 23 or 24-year-old, if they are in fact convicted, they shouldn't be seeing the light of day for decades. But yet this goes on on a daily basis. If I was a business operating a delivery service, I wouldn't let my guys and gals get out of the car, especially in certain areas of this community. Just saying.